Good to have you all back for another episode of ThinkTech Hawaii's Human Humane Architecture. We're broadcasting live again from our intercultural, intercontinental triangle with uh, you, DeSoto Brown, in Honolulu, Hawaii, at your Bishop Museum. You, Lindgren, in Long Beach, California, on the West Coast, mainland US. And me, your host, Martin Despang, uh, from near Munich, Germany. So we are back as the three from the filling station with volume seven. And this is, by the way, our 207th show. And so we're back to the comparison of automobiles and architecture. And why is that, uh, Ron? We, we, missed, we had to miss out on you uh, for a little bit because uh, while you have that extreme heat over there at the whole West Coast, and you would desperately need water, you unfortunately had the water on the inside of your house where you didn't want it, right? While um, we here in Europe have the water on the outside as crazy floods. So the, the, the world, the globe is angry at us. And, and I know you, Ron, um, and, and myself too, we have tried, maybe not the very best, but we tried hard to do bioclimatic architecture. You've been doing the finest, easy breezy resorts in Hawaii. And we've been building my, for my hometown, the first kindergarten off the grid for Germany's oldest university in Göttingen, the same thing. But still here we are. So we're kind of frustrated. What else can we do? And we had tried, you know, in, in the last 200 shows, the best to promote that uh, architecture, especially of that bioclimatic kind in Hawaii. But, you know, it, it got us 11,000 views, but, you know, the world is still angry at us. So now we're trying a different angle through something that we believe we know that people have a better access to, and that's basically their automobile. And hopefully through that, we can figure out more about um, you know the future of architecture. Ron, you you wanted uh, slide uh, the slide with a with a gas stations back because we had to stop there at at the last volume six, but didn't quite get to the point that you wanted to make about the future of these, right? Yeah, the the fact is that uh, we're we're looking at at uh, some at a slide that has both drawings and photographs of projects and built. Uh, uh, garages, we really should take a very long and fond look at those because sooner than we think, those are going to become a thing of the past. Consider the fact that vehicle emissions are 28% responsible for those greenhouse gases that are dangerously altering the world's climate through global warming. In fact, manufacturing is a close second at about 27%. In response to that, President Biden has vowed to reduce those gases in the United States by 50% at the end of this decade, 2030. Frankly, that uh, laudable goal seems a very difficult one because even in the very heart of the pandemic lockdown, when people weren't driving and manufacturing was curtailed, we only managed to get greenhouse gases down by 22%. Nevertheless, uh, the only way this can be done is to phase out all vehicles driven by fossil fuels. So in response to that, the presidents of GM and Ford and their counterparts around the world have already and very recently stated and promised that they will only be making all electric vehicles and light trucks by the year 2035. Heavy multi-axle trucks will follow suit five years later 
in 2040. So what will happen to gas stations in what is the fast approaching era of the electric vehicles? There are about 107,000 gas stations in the United States. That turns out to be about one for every 3,000 people in the country. In American towns and cities, those gas stations typically were located on very prominent and very visible and easily accessible corner lots. Now we got 107,000 of those that are looking to, to what in the future? Any replacement new construction on a site where a gas station is, or maybe adding on to it to make it something else. As soon as that break ground, all of a sudden the developer has to face the really huge cost of removing the enormous underground gasoline storage tanks, plus all of the property's soil that has been contaminated by their leakage over the years. So what kinds of adaptive reuse can be successfully adopted by architects and interior designers for old, empty, one-story gas stations. And as, as a last comment, and this really surprised me, two-thirds to three-quarters of the existing American gas station sales are to customers for food and drink. Thus, the primary role of gas stations is as convenience stores. Could some of them continue to be convenience stores? Good question. That's my spiel on why we should look very fondly at gas stations because they will soon be something we see in our rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. Let me just add, Ron, that we've already been through a big change in yours and my lifetime from gas stations being garages or service stations that did car repairs to outlets that just sell gasoline plus food and alcohol. And now, if you want to get your car fixed, you have to take it to pretty much to the dealer that sells the cars. That's already been a major change. The other thing I just want to point out is the coffee place that I go to that is close to my house is a former gas station. So that is an adaptive reuse. It's literally the same building that is no longer a gas station but sells coffee. Mm -hmm. Let's go to the next slide, guys. Uh, per one of my your favorite presentations, DeSoto, the island's tradition of innovation. This is truly an addition to that one because it basically points something out that was absolutely impossible, unimaginably at that time, mid-century of the last century, uh, where I'm from in, in Germany. Nor did we have these cars, nor did we have uh, these shelves for these cars. So explain what these are and where they were DeSoto on, in Honolulu. Uh, these pictures are of a facility that was located at a major car dealership, which is now the Honolulu Convention Center, by the way. This was called Aloha Motors, and it was actually an amalgamation of another car dealership as well called Murphy Motors. And it was for a time, I believe, the largest Chevrolet dealership in the entire United States. Well, what that meant was that they had to store quantities of cars, even though it's a very big site. So they did this by building this innovative, essentially parking structure. But because it was the cars were not being driven by individual owners, they could be loaded and unloaded by the elevator device that you see in the center between the two buildings. And this was only used by the professionals who worked there. You never saw 
you really couldn't see this very clearly from the street when you drove by because it was mostly enclosed and you didn't see what was going on. But it was this system in which cars were picked up and placed in a parking space and then brought down when it was necessary for a dealer to, to sell them or somebody wanted to buy them. So this is something that's been done sometimes for parking lots or parking structures for privately owned cars, but it was probably one of the unique situations in the USA where this has been done by a car dealership. Well, and once again, Hawaii had that as having been so innovative at that time, and we wish and we want to bring that innovative nature back. And uh, we refer at the top right on slide three here on image three, it's basically a show from that's how time flies by from December 2017, where we were uh, basically in Dresden. That's where, where I will be going um, as well um, um, on, over the weekend, over the coming weekend to see my parents again before I come back to you, DeSoto. And that's in Dresden. That's, um, as we said there on, on slide three, the, uh, the glazed uh, manufacturing plant by VW, where they used to make their, which gets the closest in for VW to these big boats here, uh, which was the Phaeton. The Phaeton didn't really sell that well. Uh, I think you guys never got it. It was never imported. So they discontinued that. Uh, now they do what we see on image two is the ID3, which is their new, there we go, electric line, electric series. And they just started at the beginning of the year to manufacture that. So the, the, the architecture of the building is in, in, in the prime location in Dresden and the historic next to a park. And it prides itself to be absolutely zero emissions and clean and now making much sense. They also produce a zero emission, uh, absolutely clean car there. And by the way, Ron, you were talking about Biden and Harris's agenda of 2035 being off the fossil for individual passenger cars. And that's in compliance. We're back to teamwork with the European uh, um, uh, political partners. So that's exactly the agenda of uh, the European Commission's president, Ursula von der Leyen, 2035. And I will, you guys charged me to check this out and take pictures, so I will. Uh, but let's go back to what we see here, because these cars, again, um, uh, we talked before, uh, DeSoto, you got your German Beetle back then. So there were VW dealerships, there were BMW and Mercedes dealerships, but the American car manufacturers decided to not um, have dealerships for their, these cars in, in Germany at that time. So I only knew that from playing with them in the sandbox, watching movies and dreaming of these and I just taught you the term. How did we call these? You called them Streisenklauser. Very, very good. Very good. Very good. Streisenklauser. Streisenkreuzer. Exactly. I'm trying. I'm trying. And what, and it's good. And what does that mean? It means street cruiser. But in this case, the word cruiser is not used as it would be in the United States to, to describe driving along the street in your car that you want to show off. Instead, in Germany, it refers to a type of ship because in naval terms, there are different types of classes or sizes of ships. So there are battleships and there are aircraft carriers and there are cruisers. So Germans used it to mean 
cruisers like big boats. Um, and as Ron pointed out, cruising also in the United States or in English can mean looking for sex. So it's a word that has a lot of uh, baggage. Different connotations, yeah. yeah Let's go to the next slide. Before you guys get too excited how the show will proceed, I will, uh, <laughs> will disappoint you because it's staying within architecture and automobiles primarily, but it is about people and it's about you know attitudes. And so here we go. This is a little longer monologue, sorry for you guys, but you said it's okay to understand me better where I come from literally and figuratively speaking. So, because it took me until a quarter of a century of age to finally get to that holy land, your United States of America, as a student with a scholarship, a president scholarship by the University of Nebraska. And I will never forget when I flew in into Omaha, Nebraska, there were some other exchange students uh, that were more part of the direct exchange between the two universities. And they were in this German embassy, which was an old house, turn of the century, that they donated to these exchange students. And they had this beige Buick LeSabre 70s. They picked me up in Omaha from the airport. And I will never forget, I mean, this is not Autobahn, right? So this was cruising because you can't go fast, 65 or whatever miles per hour. And then this wobbly suspension basically, you know, got me to, got me to Lincoln. And then this is for my students to listen what uh, their professor did when you know he was uh, their age he basically did what guys i told you before he laughed about that well you said that they could take the first days off from class to go buy themselves a car because everybody needs a car or at least that's what you figured out or were told when you were in lincoln nebraska well even worse it's like if you have no car in the us it's like having no legs and that's true to certain degrees, right? So I basically walked, indeed, as far as I could, many blocks to find used car dealers on Old Street, which is the main street in Lincoln, Nebraska. And at both ends of it, uh, I found a billboard with your car, DeSoto, right? My Volkswagen, my Volkswagen Beetle. And, and who, was, who was around it? Well, you said that uh, Weird Wally was the name of the guy who had this used car lot, and there were ads with him wearing just his bathing suit curled up in the front trunk, open trunk of a VW Beetle as his uh, image that he was showing to the world. And that's as scandalous as it can get in the heartland where you're from, Ron, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> So uh, Weird Wally, basically, then I saw this on slot number three, that 72 Plymouth Fury, uh, light blue, black vinyl top, and I fell in love with it. And I, I stopped by there over and over again. At some point, a black Cadillac convertible was driving by with Weird Wally in it. And I, you know, I should have known better because, yes, I watched movies, American movies. So which profession is the most untrustworthy and corrupted in American movies. Used car salesmen. There you go. So I asked that most, regardless, I asked that, you know, I was green behind my ears, young kid. I basically said, is this a good car to drive, uh, to buy, to drive? And he laughed at me and he said, young kid, what do you want to hear? You want to hear this is the greatest car in the world? I'm not going to tell you because I don't know. It's an old car. Yes, it was built to last, but it might break down at the next corner. I don't know. So that was, uh, you know, 
you know, this is the heartland. People are honest there. The little dishonesty was that he said, well, you know, it's the only thing that doesn't work. And that was not dishonest. That was honest too. But he said, the AC, and here comes the dishonesty. He said, you don't really need that. But it was August in the heartland. So give me a break. When I got off the plane, it was someone threw a wet towel in my face. But even that one turned out good because when parents came to visit me, I had some time to spend in my car before they flew in. And I played around at the lower part of my dashboard. And there was a little switch and I flipped it and ice cooled air blew in my face. And so he didn't even know about that aftermarket switch down there. So it was all great. And so this car, you know, we all know, you know, I had other older cars and I still have our Twingo or a Mercedes or, you know, a one we will get to, sorry, a two we'll get to later. But this will always have been the best car in the world that I will ever had because it never gave up on me talking loyalty. We talked about that before and uh, it never broke down except that one time where the timing chain uh, broke. And if we could go to image number eight, the guy on the right uh, to the left, by the way, is me with still hair on. And the guy on the right is Dan Kubrick, my dear buddy. And he was my classmate. And he basically took me under his wing. And he was able in a brutally cold night in a garage of that German embassy, he was fixing that timing chain that I had no clue how to do it. And he took me under his wing. And when he first introduced, uh, first had me over to his house, his parents' house in Omaha, which is in a typical suburban uh, subdivision. And when he opened the tool stall garage door, uh, what looked at me was uh, what we see on image four. And what is that one, guys? That's a GTO, isn't it? That is a GTO. That's a Pontiac yeah. GTO. And there's the, there's the, there's the story behind, these were the days when there was still, you know, pride and ethics and, you know, people didn't stew each other when they had some argument. This is, uh, the, 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 there, are, there are GTO Ferraris too. And when Americans had the guts to want to steal that, that name, they basically fought it out by racing. And guess what? The Pontiac won. And won. So they, <laughs> they, they could keep it. Uh, the one on number five on image five is one of the very few ones around still that we spotted on our uh, main uh, O Street, which is Kapahulu Avenue um, in, in our front yard, DeSoto. And so um, Dan really um, then became a really good friend. And uh, when my parents uh, needed to go back, uh, they rented this on number seven, this 1980s, 90s uh, golden uh, Cadillac um, Sedan DeVille on, on image seven. And so we drove it all the way from Lincoln, Nebraska to New York City, which is half across the whole continent and made a stopover in Chicago to finally there, you know, still we were young and wild. So we wanted to keep cruising it. We ended up in the Bronx and we didn't stop at any stoplight on a red one because there was some burning trash cans around and we didn't want the car to be, to be robbed. And the color gold for a car, I want to, you know, compare to the building we see here. So finally, we get to architecture, because this is the HDR headquarter in Omaha, Nebraska. And Ron, you know, from your colleagues, this is one of the largest corporate uh, architectural firms in the country, in fact, in the world. And that's the original headquarter building. And here we go. It's basically a Bauhausian box. But the difference is what? The color. 
where does the color come from and what's behind the color or what is the color? Well, the color is gold and the color you're saying comes from actual gold, either impregnated into the glass or as a, as a film over the glass, which as you said was to help mitigate uh, glare and excessive sunlight. And you were pointing out that in Europe, nobody would ever make gold, put gold windows on a plain square glass box. But in the United States, yes, in fact, people will do that. And you heard the rumor or the claim that there were maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of gold included in these windows just to make it even more prestigious. Exactly. So there's something very patriotic, very heroic. Maybe we can say there's a bling factor in there that's probably <laughs> you know, more American than German. And I have to yeah. add for, you know, again, with, with Dan, when... No, for just like for you guys, you said this sort of before, we we didn't even want to call these big boats Glasenkreuzer because for us they were just the normal thing, right? So for yeah. him, my my 72 Plymouth Fury compared to his GOAT, which is the nickname of, of his GTO, which is like a joke, right? But he know how sort of affiliated this was my first real Straßenkreuzer. So I was very emotionally attached. So when I had to leave to go back to Germany to continue my college there, he he took it on and 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 you know he drove it for a little while and he told me there was this accident with his little mid-sized Japanese car that had almost collateral damage. And the only thing you could see at the big boat furious that was the, the chrome coated, you know, big steel, you know, beam bumper just you know had like two millimeters you know, was offset or something that that's how heavy they were built. Right. And so, um, that, you know, cars obviously represent culture. And again, um, here, here we go architecturally that you guys took on the, the old Bauhausian idea and pushed it to uh, a, a significantly different level. Let's go to the next slide as probably the last one for today to tell you another, since I'm in the storytelling mode, let's use the last couple of minutes for the, for the next story. Uh, because uh, one of my uh, friends in 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 um, in high school, um, his father, uh, and we we know this gentleman a little bit from the slides um, to the at the top right, but his here it's about his father. His father was a banker, and a honorary consul of Panama, uh, so very successful guy, and he was part of the. The people racing, he had horses and he raced them on the racing track we, we still have in, in Hanover. Uh, surprise, surprise. But he was very low-key and humble and just like reminds us of an article we just wrote about our most favorite president, Jimmy Carter, right, who still lives in his talking architecture, $160,000 um, know, cheap house he bought 40 years ago, and he still lives in it, and asked why he never bought something more expensive. He said, I was never interested in, I was never interested in money or to show off the money, right? In, his, in this case, similar, uh, which car did this very, uh, you know, um, wealthy guy drive that is very familiar to you, DeSoto? Well, I don't know if that's the exact same car, but he drove an old Volkswagen Beetle that I don't know if it was rusty or not, but it certainly wasn't a very prestigious or expensive car. It, it was a pretty beaten up one because I remember that as a little kid because they took me to the racing tracks. And then he got peer pressure from his peers in his, in his league 
And we just threw in that the very, you know, one, two, three, the images there, they all drove Mercedes S classes. I don't know if we had Rolls Royces in Hanover, but certainly the, the seven series um, uh, BMW, right? And so they said, you got to have something, you know, of that stature. And, and he did. When we go to the very bottom right uh, image there, uh, the number, I forgot the number, 12, I guess it is. Uh, he got himself what? <laughs> he got himself a large Lincoln Continental. And I don't know, if, is this the exact same car? It's just a No, I had to Google that. That was back in the day. Yeah. I was a kid. I don't know if I even had a camera. It was one of the Kodak cameras. Yeah. If I, But I didn't. No, I had to Google that yeah. as one of the exceptions to the rule. Right. To our rule of not violating copyright. So that right. was a sneaky way to basically say, okay, guys, you got what you wanted but I stay true to myself, right? I'm not interested in showing off with shiny new cars, right? He stayed with a beaten up. And, and you know, the, the, his son is now the largest developer in Hanover. And we talked about that, um, his architect, his main architect, which by the way, my sister once was, was skiing and she sat at, a, at one of the, uh, the Apreshi bars there and the guy was chatting her up and said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm from Hanover, not knowing that she originally is too. And he basically said, yeah, we have basically made an architect. And that architect was the one who converted Fathers Brown uh, a banking tower that we dedicated a show to and were somewhat critical because we said, you know, if you have an original building, just like we, we drove by a, um, I have to share with you guys pictures uh, just before the show, we came back from, a vintage uh, automobile um, a car dealership. And they had, I have to give it to you, DeSoto, there was a, um, uh, an old Beetle uh, with a number 53 from the Herbie movie back then. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, and, yeah, right. And it was, it was imported from, I think from Turkey or something like that. Oh no, from yeah. Sicilia. So it's in good shape because it has no rust. So right. that one is worth now, I think the price tag was like 30,000 euros or something <laughs> like that, right? And so again, if you have an original one, keep it in the original, right? Because the original color, you know, is worth more than a repaint job, right? And that certainly applies to automobiles as to architecture, because if you have an original building from mid-century by one of the modern masters, might it be by, um, you know, Wilke as here in Germany, or might it be by Killingsworth and Lindgren and Ron getting close to the end of the show, please show your shirt. Oh, yes. I'm celebrating uh, being back with you doing some co-hosting. So here is my Holly Klani t-shirt and I'm wearing it proudly today and thinking of getting back to Hawaii as soon as possible. Yeah, and uh, rela relative to what we just said, we know it was under renovation. So we're very anxious and curious and still hopeful to see it having been renovated in respect to its original, just again, with the cars and the original color. The Halikalani is one of the most keepers and certainly in its originality. So let ourselves be surprised by the Halikalani Corporation that that is the case. And I think with that, we've been eating up all the time, or I have been majorly, and I will have to continue for a little longer next week. 
to uh, end my story of the Americano and my obsession with the Straßenkreuzers, to then uh, turn it back to you guys and your automotive obsessions that are relevant to architecture. All right, guys and everyone else, see you next week for that. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.